As I said, we are going to look this morning at Philippians chapter 4. If you are unaware, we are doing something a little bit different in our uh, journeys through the the scriptures. And typically what we do as we engage the scripture is we we go through a book study or we go through a character study, Bible, you know, uh, Bible characters, uh, people that God used. We've done all of that. And for this fall, what I have asked the church family to do is to submit their favorite passages of scripture. You know, faith is a journey. It's not a destination. And as we journey through these favorite places, that's what I've called this series that will be on until Christmas, we are encountering those things that have been a great blessing to us. And as I said at the beginning, several of you submitted uh, favorite verses, passages uh, from Philippians chapter 4. So that's where we are and why we are there. And I want to read our text this morning, and then I want to give you a little bit of a mindset help and see if uh, we can compare and contrast uh, how we often are and what the Word tells us that we should be. Okay. Now, Scripture says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you, my true companion, help these women, since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent and praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the God of peace will be with you. Now, there's a lot there. We're not going to get through all of it. But we're going to make a very good effort to do that very thing. Now, I brought something with me, and I want you to... You know, uh, this this is not a time to, to to raise your hand, okay? But you may find yourself having been in this little uh, list somewhere, okay? Uh, I have found myself in this list, <laughs> and it is something that uh, Dr. David Jeremiah had in one of his books. Uh, I have quite a few of his books, and. Uh, read those with uh, great joy and receive a lot of instruction along with uh, many other saints who bless us with what the Lord has given to them. But how many of you would say, I have set out on my life to intentionally become as miserable as possible? (laughs) That's just not even right, is it? (laughs) None of us set out to become miserable. 
Okay? But if that were your goal, okay, and I'm glad that it's not, we wouldn't intentionally do it, but here's the thing. We, we get there. We get to these things. Here's what he said. If you want to make miserable your goal, do these things, okay? Make little things bother you. Don't just let them bother you. Make them bother you. <laughs> okay? That's number one. Number two, lose your perspective on everything and keep it lost. You know, just don't have a good perspective on anything and don't put first things first. You do realize there's priorities to life and relationships, right? Get yourself, here's number three, get yourself a good worry. One about which you can do absolutely nothing and let it consume all of your mental energy. Number four. Be a perfectionist. Condemn yourself and others for always falling short. <laughs> Y'all shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> I'm going to turn my monitors down just a teeny bit. I got a little ring up here. Number five, be right. Always right. Perfectly right. All the time. And tell everybody else you're right. <laughs> Make sure they know it. <laughs> and be rigid about your rightness. Number six, don't trust anybody and don't believe anybody. Don't accept them as they are, but always assume the worst about everybody you meet. <laughs> are you miserable yet? <laughs> Thank you, Sean. <laughs> Out of the mouths of babes. <laughs> he said, yep. <laughs> okay, number seven. Always, always compare yourself unfavorably to others, which is a guarantee of instant misery. <laughs> okay. Number eight. Take personally, with a chip on your shoulder, everything that happens to you that you don't like. Blame, blame, blame all the time. <laughs> Number nine, give yourself wholeheartedly or enthusiastically to anyone or, or excuse me, don't give yourself wholeheartedly or, or enthusiastically to anyone or anything. In other words, be self-consumed all the time. Number two, or it's number ten, I can't even count. Make unhappiness the aim of your life. Instead of bracing life's barbs through a bitter with the sweet philosophy. You know, there are good things in life, right? There's bad things in life. The way that I say it a lot of times is life happens. Okay? But that doesn't mean we have to let those things control us. And I, I ran across that piece from Dr. Jeremiah, and you know, none of us would intentionally set out to do that list of things. But if we're honest, most of that list of things we've probably done at some point or another, right? Okay, good. I see heads doing this. <laughs> okay, mine, mine does this too, okay? Just, just so you know. And 
Before we break this, this passage down, I want you to see, because you're going to encounter this in your discussion group, I want you to see what other passages of Scripture address the things that Paul wrote to the Philippian church. And it gives us a good setting, a good context for what Paul said. Matthew chapter 6, verses 27 to 30. Uh, you'll recognize this as part of the Sermon on the Mount. It says, Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the field grow. Do they, not, uh, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. You've heard that before. Proverbs 12, verse 25, Anxiety weighs down the heart but a kind word cheers it up. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, back to the Sermon on the Mount. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. How much of your anxiety did he say? Oh my. Well, let's, what does the Bible say about joy? That was anxiety. James chapter 1, verses 2 and 4. Some of you submitted verses out of James. Okay, we'll get to those. He says there, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Is that how we encounter the trials of life? <laughs> we should. Proverbs, uh, Psalms 40, verse 16. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who long for your saving help always say, The Lord is great. Yeah. Psalm 28, verse 7. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in Him and He helps me. My heart leaps for joy. And with my song, I praise Him. Well, what is, you know, there's some thanksgiving in that passage that Paul wrote. What, is, what does the Scripture say about that? Psalm 31, verse 19. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you. Now, the last two Wednesday nights, three Wednesday nights, we have uh, We've included the Wednesday nights in our journey through our favorite places. And the fact that the Lord is a refuge in the Psalms that we've looked at that were some of your favorite verses, this goes hand in hand with those things that we've looked at for the last three Wednesday nights. Psalm 107, verse 1. Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His love endures. How long? And the Bible speaks about peace. Paul wrote about it to the Philippians. And in Psalm 119, verse 16, the writer says, I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Oops. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Isaiah 54, 10. Though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace removed, says the Lord, who has compassion on you. 
Now, you will likely encounter some or most of those verses in your group discussions. I trust that your leaders will take you there. Uh, because these things apply to what Paul is saying. And then finally, I want you to see this little out-of-the-way book. If I told you to go to your favorite books in the Bible, I doubt any of you would say, yeah, open your Bibles to Habakkuk. You're probably not going to do that, but you should. Uh, Chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says, I will be joyful. See it? I will be joyful. In other words, that is a decision that I make. It is a purpose of my heart. I instruct myself to be joyful. And as you see in that verse, being joyful is a choice that we make. Now, you might have thought that wasn't the case. And when you do that, what you're confusing is two things. I want to say this, and then we're going to look back at at Philippians. We confuse happiness and joy. They're different. Happiness is that state that you find yourself in when all of my my external circumstances are working in my favor. You know, I just... uh, I just won the lottery. Well, maybe you did, you're not going to play that. <laughs> Whatever. You know, something really good happened to me, therefore I'm what? Happy. But joy is different. Joy is something that I can choose to have. It's I, I celebrate who the Lord is, what He's done, as we saw earlier in those great trials that come my way. I will be joyful. I will marshal my heart, my energies, my thoughts to being joyful. Now that doesn't mean you're giddy and stupid, okay? I didn't say that. There's a time to mourn. There's all of that. But even in the morning, I am joyful. We're instructed in the New Testament, yes, believers grieve, but the instruction is, don't grieve like those who have no hope. He didn't say don't grieve, he just said do it differently than those people who have no hope in the Lord. Okay, So it doesn't take away our joy, even though our circumstances may be weighing down on us heavily. We can still have joy in it, right? Say yes. Now, let's look and see what Paul is doing. Everybody in the church doesn't always get along. I know that surprises you all. I'm glad, I'm sincerely, honestly, as 110% as glad as I can be that we'll have these problems here. And I hope it stays that way forever. But we've all been in church, and I've been ministering in churches where people didn't get along. And that's bad. Because Paul helped found this church. You remember in Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas were in the Philippian jail and they had been beaten for preaching the gospel and for standing up for the Lord Jesus Christ and that's when the angel came and shook the prison and they were loosed and the church that is in Philippi, the church to whom he is writing right here was birthed out of that visit to the city of Philippi. So Paul founded this church. He is writing back to people that he knows who are dear to him and a couple of them have not gotten along. They've gotten crossways with each other. They got somewhere on Dr. Jeremiah's list and they got crossways. Okay. Now what's interesting here is that you need to put this in your mind. 
these letters were taken to churches and they were read publicly to the congregation. Now I want you to just imagine for a second that your name is Euodia or Syntyche. Here comes Epaphroditus, Paul's helper, Paul's disciple, and it, it's time for the congregation to gather in worship. And well, by golly, you know, the, uh, they stand up at the front of the church and, um, you know, just to make it as, as best I can, they, they take the scroll that Paul has sent, okay? He's got it in his hand. They break the seal on it. That way everybody knows it hadn't been messed with. They unroll the scroll and they start to read. Well, everybody's doing fine for a while. But they get down to the latter part of the letter, and then he says, Therefore, my brothers, because of everything else I've said, therefore, my brothers and sisters, those whom I love and long for, you are my joy and my crown, building them up, being positive to them. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. So what we're about to see is how do we stand firm? Number one, we confront the errors in the church. And Paul did it by name. He didn't just mamby-pamby around it. He didn't back into it. He said, hey, two of y'all got a problem. Hear your names. Now, you know, we can just imagine this in the church today. Uh, Syntyche would sit over here and Yodia would sit over there and they would try to go out the different doors of the church, never look at each other and talk to each other on their way in or out, right? Y'all seen that? Lord help us. What a horrible testimony for the church of Jesus Christ. And eventually, whenever these things take place, well, you know, I'm just so mad at her. She, you just won't believe. And, you know, I'm trying to get you on my side. And, well, guess what? Same thing's happening on the other side of the room. And if you, if you let it go unconfronted, then before long, you've got this schism in the church. And the testimony of the church isn't advanced in the community because the church can't even get along with itself, much less help the people out there that don't know the Lord. Right? It matters. Jesus said to his disciples, the world will know that you are my disciples by what? Oh, come on, y'all. The love you have for one another. Now, you're supposed to love the world too, but... Understand what Jesus said. The world's going to know your mind by how you love each other. How, how you love each other inside the door before you go outside the door. That's how the, wor the world's going to know that you're mine. Ouch. You ever find out there's some folks in the church that are harder to love than others? Don't say anything. <laughs> trying to help you all laugh at a serious subject. I plead with these two ladies, be of the same mind. And that doesn't mean we have to agree about everything, but we do have to agree that we are both bought by the blood of Jesus Christ, that we have both been washed of our sins, that God has separated us from our sins, that He has justified us and He has cleansed us, and that we have a great deal in common. We are walking the same path of faith. We have the same destination. We have the same Lord, the same salvation, the same empowering Holy Spirit. And with all of that on the plus side, what right do we have to be at odds with one another over trivial stuff? You don't. Sorry. Get over it. Now, that's the way I say it. Paul says the same thing in here. Okay, I'm just a little more blunt. Maybe. 
And then he says, now notice, he points out the problem. He names the names on the problem. And then he says, moves immediately to something that's building up. He says, yes, and I ask you, my true companion, that's probably Epaphroditus, we don't really know, help these women since they... Now, he's gone from naming them to building them up, recognizing what they have done. Help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement. Now, this may well be um, the Clement of Rome that we have some writings of his from the early church days. It may not be. It was a common name. We're not told, but it could very well be him. And, and the, he says, and the rest of my co-workers, now notice what he says, whose names are written in the book of life. Now that's a good thing, right? That's something I can be happy about. That's something I can rejoice about. You know, Jesus told his disciples when they came back from being sent out two by two, he says, don't rejoice that the, that the demons are subject to you. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. That's what he told them. Check it out. Rejoice in that. Be happy in that because there's nothing in the world more important than that especially not some squabble that we can have with a brother or sister in Christ. Right? Now, I took a lot more time with that than I wanted to. Sorry. Look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Do you see a question mark at the end of that? <laughs> Do you see the word please in front of it? Nope. So you don't see things that would detract from what that is. What, what, it, what is it? It's a command, people. It's an instruction. Rejoice in the Lord always. Well, what does it mean to, be re to, to, to rejoice? If you study that word, what you're going to find is you're going to find exuberant happiness is the idea behind that word. Now, sometimes that same word is rendered in Scripture as a greeting, and we might read it as hail to you or whatever. Now, it's interesting to me, and I've, I've confessed my awe and wonder to you already, uh, how the Lord puts this thing together that we all put into a pot and how they relate to each other. But Wednesday night, we were, we were talking a little bit about the refuge that God is, and we talked a little bit about Mary. When the angel came to Mary and gave her the news of Jesus' coming birth, and we see in the Scripture, in the Gospel, that the angel said to her, Hail, Mary, you who are highly favored. That word is the same as this word. It's the same Greek word. It's just translated different places, you know, different ways in different places. But it's the same word. And so what the angel was saying to Mary is, Rejoice! Be very, very happy. Be exuberant because you are highly favored. And we talked about all of that Wednesday night, how in her culture, what was going to happen to her, it would be very easy to consider that bad news because she didn't really understand it, right? That was going to be a trial that would last her lifetime. We talked about that. Because you know how people are. And they all knew. But yet, 
The instruction is rejoice. Be exceedingly happy. Well, there's some difficult things that are going to come to her from that. An, ed, an unwed mother in that day and time and all that came with that and the lasting implications of living in the same town for the rest of her life. Hello? But the word is rejoice. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it over. Rejoice. And then he says, let your gentleness be evident to all. Let me give you a picture of what that means. Words, sometimes, you know, when we translate them, words kind of morph over time. But I can give you a picture and you can understand what Paul is meaning. He says your gentleness. You remember in John chapter 8, the woman was taken in adultery and they threw her at Jesus' feet and wanted him to accuse her, etc. Remember the account. Did Jesus condone the sin? No. He would not. Was he gentle with her? He was. Did he tell her, go your way and sin no more? He did. He didn't back up from what's right, but he was gentle with her in the confrontation. And that's what Paul is talking about. Remember, we're correcting a problem in the church. Be gentle, rejoice, be happy in the Lord, be exuberant, and let your gentleness be evident to everybody because the Lord is near. You see, when I have a temptation to be at odds with you, I need to remember at all times that the Bible says that the Lord Jesus may come back at any moment. We do not know the day, the time, or the hour, and I want Him to come back and find me busy and plugged in for the kingdom. I don't want him to come back and find me squabbling with Mauricio over something stupid. Neither does he. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? The Lord is near. His coming could be before you go to lunch. Could be before I get through. You're saying, I hope so. <laughs> the Lord is near. And then... We've got, a, we've got this other thing. Do not be anxious about anything. Do you see a please in front of that? You don't. So let me ask you, what is that? It's another command, right? Rejoice, command. Do not worry, command. Ouch. How many of us worry? <laughs> it says don't. We read the verses from the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said don't. Don't be anxious about anything. And, you know, don't worry, but here's, here's the negative. Don't, don't, don't worry, don't be anxious. The positive is but in every situation, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. What can you change by the things you worry about? Nothing. 
What is worry? <laughs> sin. <laughs> but why is it a sin? Well, there's a couple of reasons. Number one, the Lord said don't do it. Okay? The second thing is, worry is the absence of faith. The Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans that we are to live from faith to faith. And it is by grace that we are saved through faith. And the Lord gives that to us. It's like a little boy. His parents were fairly well known in the day and time that he grew up. And as guests would come to their house, you know, it was eh, kind of customary in the area where they lived. You know, the, the, the kid had a, we'll just call it a piggy bank, you know, kind of out in the family room. And, and people would, you know, pat the kid on the head and put a few coins in his piggy bank for him and, you know, make his parents happy, make the kid happy, whatever. It was just a custom. Uh, and one day somebody came to the house and they didn't put any coins in the kid's piggy bank. <laughs> so finally, the little kid went over and picked up his piggy bank and kind of stood there and shook it. And sure enough, the guests, ah, okay, put a couple of coins in the piggy bank. After the guests left, father sat his son down and he said, son, Never again are you to ask strangers for something you need. You are to ask me because I am your father and I will never be mad at you for asking. Get the picture? We are never at odds with God the Father for asking Him for what we need. The problem is we don't ask. He says elsewhere and instructs us, you don't have because you don't ask. I cannot explain the fact that God has chosen to administer grace and mercy in the universe and in the world to us through the, the mechanism of prayer. But He has said that. That's how he responds. And is God going to accomplish his purposes in the world? Sure. Yes. How is he going to accomplish them? He is going to accomplish them through prayer. He responds to the prayers of his people, the request that his children go to him and make. And if I won't ask, then he will raise up somebody who will ask because it is through the asking that God is going to do what he is going to do. I will not change his purposes. I simply will either include myself in the blessing or I will exclude myself from it. Am I asking? You know, it isn't lost on me as we go through here that we spent the summer looking and diving deeply into the model prayer. There is a message that has been coming to us and maybe, I, I, maybe I'm the blockhead. I don't know, but... The message seems awfully consistent and it hasn't relented. 
How long have we been talking about these ideas about prayer and asking and doing what God simply tells us to do? How long have we been doing that? A long time. Don't be anxious. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And then what? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds. Now, why is that important? Paul said, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourselves as what? Living sacrifices, which is your reasonable service of worship. That happens by the renewing of your mind. You see, the mind is the battleground. If you don't think so, we can talk about that later, but there's more than enough right here in this passage to show you that. Paul goes the entirety of verse 8 telling you what to think about. You see, when I have something that's not good for me to think about, what do I need to do? Do I need to just let that you know, take, take root in my mind and continue to think about all those you know, shortcomings of my brother or my sister and, and get in a situation like these two ladies? No, I don't. Do I need to think more highly of myself than I should? No, I shouldn't. shouldn't think lower of myself than I should either. But I should have a proper perspective. Correct? And if I'm thinking something that isn't healthy, then it's my job, my discipline, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to think on the things that are good, the things that are noble, the things that are excellent, the things that are praiseworthy, and to rejoice in the Lord. Because you see, the way we are made, I can't think two thoughts at the same time. <laughs> you think about that. If I've got junk coming in over here, and I'll... Suddenly I wake up to that. Oh, wait a minute. And I can either quote Scripture. I can think about how good the Lord is. I can rejoice in the Lord for who He is, what He's done, what He's called me to do, what He's given me, what's mine in Him, the standing that I have, everything that He's done. I can think about that and I can be happy. Whoops. No. I can rejoice. That doesn't go away. And you see, by doing that, I'm putting the good things into the mind. It's being renewed by thinking the proper things that I should think. And that grows within me, correct? And that's guarding my heart and my mind. That's the grace of God. That's the peace of God that comes to me. Now, we get anxious about a lot of things. Now, I'm going to meddle for just a minute, and then I'm going to quit. We're going to have a little music from upstairs to kind of see where this settles in our, in our thoughts and on our hearts. But that's because every time we encounter the Word, we have to respond. So it works. I told you that a thousand times already. God reveals to us and then we respond. Respond we do. It may be positive and it may be negative. But when you think you didn't respond, you did. And so, he says rejoice. We've talked about worship. There's the, the, the power in this passage, in these instructions of praise. 
that I am to be exuberantly praising my Father. Yes? Now, we've talked about these things before too. Make a joyful noise. Well, some of y'all have, you worry about that. You have some anxiety about that because you think you can't. I'm sorry. Open your mouth and let it out. Sorry. I'm not, but you know, I'm sorry you have anxiety with that, but you shouldn't. Because, you know, the, the acceptability of my praise doesn't depend on what it sounds like to the guy on the other end of the pew. Oops. The acceptability of my praise is determined by the heart from which it is offered. And who looks on the heart? God does. And if we are to be offering and praying for everything, as Paul says here, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, enumerating for myself over and over what it is that God has done, what it is that He provides, the way that He provides. He doesn't just give a little bit. He gives over and above everything that we can ask or imagine. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Right? Can you quote it? Now to Him who is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above everything or anything that you can ask or imagine, to Him be glory in the church forever. That's what we have to think about. That's how we have to respond. I take that, that greeting, I take that rejoice, and I am exuberant, I am celebrating who God is, I'm taking my request to Him, I'm letting them be known, and I leave it there because He is the God who has the power to answer. He has the goodness to answer in a way that's good for Him and good for me all at the same time. And because I don't understand it doesn't mean I stop asking Yes? Now, let me share something else with you. We need to be people of prayer. And you're, you're I'm, I know ahead of time, I, don't, I may not know necessarily who, but, but this is going to cause some anxiety for some of you. I, we think I can be a person of prayer and I can go do that in my closet which is what I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to go to the treasure room. That's what we learned that that, that word means, to go to my closet when Jesus was you know, introducing the model prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. I got that. Praying in the closet is commanded. That's private prayer. You know what else? So is public prayer. Well, I can't do that. Well, bless Patty, you can. You just have anxiety and you won't. How do I know that? Well, I challenge you to write this down and go live with it a little bit. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 16. Here's what it says. If you give thanks with your spirit, in other words, I'm, I'm praying, I'm giving thanks, how can anyone in the position of an outsider say amen to your thanksgiving when he doesn't know what you're saying? Oops. <laughs> I cannot agree with you in prayer unless I know what you're praying. And the Lord says that whatever two or more of you agree upon, right? 
So am I going to be one of those people that prays in public all the time? Probably not. Some people are more comfortable with that than others, but all of us ought to be able to do that and understand that it's necessary. Because as the Lord directs the prayer from my heart, you know, the very thing that you might be have so much anxiety that you don't want to say it out loud where anybody can hear it, that might be the very thing that I need to hear. And when you say it, I'm going to say, just like Paul says, Amen! I needed to hear that. God, do that. Now, I suspect that there's a lot of things in this passage that maybe... You hadn't thought about when you listed these verses as some of your favorites. There are a lot of things that you did think about, and I'm glad of that. And finally, Paul closes with something that I think is very, very convicting. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. Well, that's great for preachers. Paul was an apostle and a missionary and a preacher and a pastor and all of that. Well, you know what? That ought to be the goal for all of us. Where did Paul write this letter that is instructive on rejoicing? From a jail cell! The peace that God gives us as we are obedient, trusting Him, praising Him, worshiping Him, praying to Him, requesting of Him. The peace that comes from us is a divine grace. And when we have all this anxiety that we carry around, you know, I toyed with the title for this message. <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and give it to you. Partly so you'll smile, but partly so you'll remember and not do this. But you know, there's a lot of folks in the church that are all stressed up with no place to go. Yeah. We're carrying a lot of anxiety around, aren't we? Yeah. I'm all stressed up. I shouldn't be. Be anxious for nothing. But in all things, in all things, those are big instructions, y'all. By prayer and supplication, the general prayer, supplication, specific requests, let your heart be known to the Father. Does He know what you're going to ask before you pray? Yes. We know that. Problem is, He's commanded you to do it. So, at the end of the day, the question is, am I going to be faithful or am I not? And that's... That's the real question. Am I going to hang on to my anxiety? Am I going to hang on to my worry? Or am I going to take the antidote, which is prayer and thanksgiving, and the opposite of worry and anxiety?